0: Hello, I'm Persia, and this is Eleven Again. Eleven Again is a show about the things that people were obsessed with as kids. A lot of kids, I feel like, fixate on something. Something that they're reading or watching or listening to or thinking about. Whatever it is. Today I'm talking to two friends, Tucker Marcus and Patrick Cotner, about one thing that they both loved as kids, Star Wars. So how this show is going to work is we're going to talk a little bit about how they were introduced to Star Wars, And then we're going to take a break and we're going to watch. And then we're going to come back and talk about it again. I actually didn't ask you guys much before going into this on purpose. (laughs) Because I wanted to get uh, it on tape. Because I don't actually know what we should rewatch.
1: What is, like, the Star Wars movie that did it for you? Uh, I mean, for me, it was New Hope. Um, I broke my VHS copy of it, because I watched I'm sure Tucker can relate to this, Mm -hmm. I watched the dang opening, uh, making of this special edition too many times, and the, uh, cantina scene too many times, so it, uh, the tape eventually just wore out, as did my copy of Phantom Menace, but it was definitely more New Hope was the big one for me.
2: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I had the same exact experience, but for me it was Return of the Jedi, where Mm -hmm. the, you know, the VHS tape wore out, and, uh, Yeah, I just, I I remember I got the the, the VHS, the THX digitally enhanced THX, uh, you know, uh, VHS copies from my grandfather as a gift. And I don't really have any awareness of Star Wars before that. And then I guess I gravitated to Return of the Jedi the most, which I think is kind of common maybe for for kids. I was like six. Yeah, it was
1: definitely my favorite as a kid too. Yeah. Even though, even though I think deep down I knew New Hope was my favorite, I definitely liked Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Most, I feel like.
0: Did you guys watch like The Phantom Menace first, but get in to like New Hope and Return of the Jedi afterwards, or you were watching the original trilogy first?
2: I mean, this very quickly gets into Lucasfilm like uh release strategy stuff because it's like they released the special editions of the first three movies again in theaters and then put them out on vhs kind of in the build-up at that point the prequels had already been announced so that was all in the build-up think in 97 the build-up through to 1999 which is when yeah. phantom menace came out so i think probably if i'm hearing this right with Patrick. We both jumped on board in that probably two-year period before Phantom Menace came out. When Phantom Menace did come out, though, I lost my shit. I, I went crazy and loved
1: it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I specifically remember seeing special editions in the theater. I don't know if I saw them before that, but I don't think I did, because I would have been five at that point. So I feel like that was probably the first time I saw it. Uh, but I specifically remember going. I remember going to Taco Bell afterwards for each of them to get the dang toys. And then uh, you know, I was well, I was seven, I guess, yeah. when Phantom Menace came out. So I had, I was full on in. Like I, you know, I'm going through right now and scanning all of my parents' photos and like videos and stuff, and just seeing like the Christmases of like ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine. <sighs> it's disgusting. <laughs> it's disgusting how much stuff I got. That was Star Wars related.
0: Oh, actually, before we go on, uh, I feel like we should do a quick introduction. Oh yeah. So no. we all met working at Marvel.
2: Well, we met you. Yeah, we knew each other before that. Indiv- what? Yes, no, I exactly. didn't know that. This is an isosceles triangle. There is Two a, sides are a-
0: closer, and one side is farther away.
1: <laughs> there's yeah. There's one outlier here, and it's you, Persia. <laughs> we met each other. Uh, Tucker and I met each other probably eight or nine years before that. <laughs> maybe not that many. Maybe not that many. Maybe it was like seven. But still, <laughs> it was it was more than five. More than yeah.
0: Was it Star Wars related?
1: uh no no i mean in the grand scheme of things isn't everything star wars related but no not specifically
2: yeah i think in terms of cultural footprint it's actually pretty close to star wars but um but overall no
0: because i think the reason you guys are both working at marvel is star wars related
1: the reason that i'm working at marvel is uh for the same reason that tucker and i met
0: okay go on how did you guys meet (sighs)
1: should we tell her tucker or should we keep it a secret do we know? I mean, I know. Do you know? <laughs> Tell it. We uh, we both worked on this show called The Chris Gathard Show when it was on public access for varying lengths of time. Tucker was there. How long were you there, Tucker?
2: I was there for about a year total, so actually not yeah. that long, but I was there for a year total straddling my study abroad experience. So I was there for like six months before and then went away and then yeah. was there for like six months after and then it went to cable.
1: And I was and there I for about seven years. So. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um yeah,
2: so we met there and then
1: reconnected uh, maybe like a year before I got the job at Marvel because we saw each other at UCB yeah and then uh, and then yeah, Marvel Marvel just happened and I vaguely remembered that Tucker worked there and I sent him a fawning email asking him to put in a good word. and I don't know if he did. I don't ever want to know.
2: And okay here's Star Wars connection yeah. and when people around the office were asking me, hey, this Patrick guy, he says he knows you, tell us about yeah. him I said. Yada, yada. Yeah. This guy got Mark Hamill. True. On Ask And that is a testament to his, like, talent-producing abilities. Because I feel like that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. There
1: you Look go, at the Star Wars. Look at that. We can always bring it back, Percy. Yeah. No matter what we talk about in this episode, <laughs> I guarantee we'll be yeah. able to bring it back. Yeah, <laughs>
2: honestly, it's so true. Yeah.
0: And I don't know how to ask. Do people, like, come forward about their Star Wars fandom? Because for me, it's like... I don't know that many people mm-hmm. who are huge Star Wars fans. But then as I say that, I'm like, well, who isn't a huge Star Wars fan? Yeah. Like, is it notable? Like, do you think it's notable for you guys? Or do you think it's just like, well, that's kind of the circles we run in?
1: Uh, I mean, it, it it's definitely notable for me just because of the other circles I run in. Because the other show I run is a Star Wars related talk show. So it's definitely <laughs> yeah. something that everyone talks <laughs> to me about, even if there are points where I'm like, I want to stop talking about this. Uh, which is not right now. I'm having such a good time on the <laughs> podcast for um, uh But yeah, no, it's definitely something that people talk to me about just because it's, especially during pandemic, becomes such a goddamn focal point of my life uh, with no choice. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's something that people know that I am uh, tangentially related
2: to. So that it's something that they will want to talk to me yeah. about. I feel like once upon a time, it was more of a coming out experience. As like you could say probably yeah. about you know 99% of nerd culture hence like I think a lot of resentment from like nerds that are older than us where it's like yeah I liked this stuff when you got the shit kicked out of you for liking it not for when it was cool and everyone in the world loved it I mean how much of that is actually the case because I guess like it's still Star Wars came out and was the highest grossing movie of all time But so like, I guess if you were reading the novels and stuff, maybe then you're getting the shit kicked out of you, which I guess maybe is still I would wouldn't say that that's not the case now. Because like, yeah, everybody likes the movies. They're huge. But if you're like deeply ingrained in Star Wars esoterica and like reading the comics or the books or whatever, like other random tendrils there are out there, maybe there's potential for ass kicking.
1: But I also think that Tucker and I were lucky in that we grew up in the period of time where it was, like, probably most acceptable. To You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, even though a lot of people hate on the prequels, like, you can't deny that they didn't make a lot of money and leave a fairly large cultural footprint. Um, and then, you know, starting in, like, 2013, 2014, it started to get hot again. And then, you know, that's when... That's when now everyone and their mother is like, oh, yeah, I've seen Star Wars. I've seen all the Star Wars movies. Just because, like, it's unavoidable at this point, I think.
0: I sort of think the later movies as important just for their continuation power more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how many people our age would have been Star Wars fans if the prequels didn't come out and come out when they did.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, there was definitely a dark period before the prequels where, like, You hear people who worked on them or people who worked at Lucasfilm talk about how, like, you couldn't get anything made with Star Wars with, like, a 10-foot pole. Like, they were trying to get new action figures put out, and everyone was like, no, why would you want to do that? That's a terrible idea. No one one cares about Star Wars. It's over. Yeah, it's over. Move on. And I think those re-releases of those movies really helped in 97. And then when the prequels started coming out, at least in the very beginning for episode one or whatever, you could find literally anything you wanted with Jar Jar on it. (laughs) Like you could get, you know, a pool floaty or like a pack of cigarettes with Jar Jar on it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: This is something that Patrick and I have literally talked to people at Lucasfilm, at Lucasfilm about like Lucasfilm employees on a trip that we took together to Lucasfilm in California about like growing up in the dark period where like Star Wars was kind of no longer culturally super relevant and not really having a lot of access to it in an easy way so i feel like if you were born in a pretty specific period it had like a Mm -hmm. the prequels had the potential to have like a mighty power upon you and i feel like a lot of that is whether or not you were logged on all the way yet because like if you Mm -hmm. were a thoughtful adolescent even like maybe if you were 14 15 and like you had like a a brain about you Mm -hmm. maybe jar jar wouldn't have connected in a huge way with you and you would have might have might have been turned off by it, but if you were, but like, you know what,
1: he should have because you know what, George Jar, Jar Binks <laughs> is okay. He's funny, and we should all get over it because he's a uh, 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 a good part of the universe that people
2: need to embrace more. That's my I, take. I completely agree. I'm right there with you. And and that's the thing. Like you and I were seven years old when that movie came out, and we yeah. were purpose built to make us lose our yes, minds. Absolutely. And it did. I, I would say. I would say though. Speaking of prequel talk, though, that. Attack of the Clones was kind of the one where I really started latching on and yeah identifying as a Star Wars fan. I I loved the first one, but that that one was the just 3 years later, Persia. Um 2002. Yeah. Uh which, was like 6 <laughs>
0: I was just—I mean, there's a reason I brought both of you on, and that's because I have seen all the Star Wars movies. Mm. I can't say that I know the names of like any planet or I or any. You don't remember Utapau? <laughs> you
1: don't remember Felucia.
0: Um, I don't know any like animal, no flora, no fauna. Yeah. I kind of mix up all the titles together. I don't know why they all are sort of word soup to me. Now, Persia,
1: here's the thing that you're saying. Earlier in the show you were saying I don't know which Star Wars we should rewatch for this podcast yeah. and I think I found the solution for you. Is it
0: all of them?
1: <laughs> I think it's all of them. <laughs> um
0: but no here's the thing is I don't remember the movies coming out. Yeah. I remember having the DVDs and watching them on DVD. Yeah. But I don't have there was like no moment in my childhood where I was like Star Wars is really cool and a thing.
2: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Why why do you think that is? That that's like genuinely interesting to me. And, yeah. and I I have several theories that immediately come to mind but do you have a a command of like why that might be
0: no (laughs) um (laughs) i do think like writ large generally i was more fantasy geared than i was sci-fi geared and i don't want to say that that's gender oriented but it may it could be Mm -hmm. and i also don't know if it's parents oriented how much do you guys feel like your parents were like We really loved seeing the original trilogy come out and we can't
1: wait to share this with you. Zero. Really? Yeah. Zero. (laughs) I mean, I, I, uh, yeah, my parents don't, I mean, now they do just because they're forced to because of me. Um, no pun intended, but like I saw it with my grandma. I want to say I saw all of the prequels. Oh,
0: it was like, can someone else please take him to the movie theater?
1: No, no, my grandma is the one who like likes Star Wars. My grandma and my aunt, who didn't live in Connecticut, she like lives in London now. She had all of her Star Wars stuff and like left them at my grandparents, and then my grandma was like, here you go, here's all this stuff. So those were the people who were actually like going for it. I I, I think I saw episode one with my parents. Episode two I saw with my dad and my grandpa and cousins, and then my grandpa walked out. Episode three I saw with <laughs> friends' parents. It was not uh, like they watch them now, but it's
2: not they don't care about them as much Percy when did you end up watching them and for what reason
0: like social like the, it was just a thing that people watch just movies that were important to us culturally I do actually I don't know how much my dad is a Star Wars yeah. fan I don't think my mom is a Star Wars fan at all but my dad actually told me recently that he remember he and a friend were like in their high school newspaper and got the high school newspaper to pay for them to like stand in line and like see Mm -hmm. the first star wars when it came out and that was like an extremely exciting experience (laughs) for them
2: that's awesome yeah (laughs) that reminds me that reminds me of me getting my school to pay for me to go do a star wars thing which was one of my favorite bits of of trickery i've ever pulled senior year of college I had to write a senior thesis and I decided to write mine about science fiction at large, but a a big chunk of that was Star Wars. So I got got New York University to send me to Anaheim, California so that I could go hang out at Star Wars Celebration 2015 and, quote, interview people. (laughs) Never happened. They didn't check. I'm still definitely in the red (laughs) when it comes to uh my college education <laughs> but that was a small pyrrhic victory for me yeah yeah oh uh, persia yeah, star wars celebration is a big fan convention
1: yeah it's the comic-con it's comic-con <laughs> but just star wars specific <laughs>
0: thanks yeah. guys
1: yeah i'm <laughs> just making sure you know
0: i don't think we've come to a conclusion actually what do you guys want to watch I mean I'm sh-
1: I came to a conclusion. I came to a conclusion a long time ago <laughs> and I already told you what it was.
0: You want to watch the prequels and the trilogy and the original- what do you guys say shorthand for the original trilogy? Well,
1: you're leaving out 5 movies.
0: What? Oh, oh you want to watch yeah. all the new ones too? I've seen those so recently.
1: <laughs> well, Percy, here's the other thing. When you say you want us to watch these, I think Tucker and I have seen them enough times where like even if we don't watch them it will be fine so it's a matter of it's more a matter of what you want to watch
0: (laughs) i don't want to watch any of the new ones
1: (laughs) okay i would i i would say new hope that would be mine if you're gonna watch one i think especially if you don't really remember any of them but right but you could also go the phantom menace route just because it's chronologically first yeah
2: or you could do like chaos option and and dive right into I think for I think chaos option is obviously attack of the clones if you want to yes. embrace. I would say don't the danger. <laughs> I would say don't
1: buy that. But
2: yeah,
0: <laughs> I actually did rewatch uh, the first of the prequel, Fan- Phantom Menace. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I actually did rewatch that one, sort of recently. Oh. I haven't seen the original trilogy in like a very long time.
1: I mean, Tucker, what are you? Th- hey, Percy, I don't you know. Just- I- Percy, just cover your ears for a second. Tucker and I are gonna talk.
2: <laughs> yeah, go walk into the corner. Yeah,
1: Tucker, what are you thinking?
2: <sighs> I don't know. I here is the thing. I, I w- putting it in the context that I was just talking about of like when I went deep on these things yeah. in school, yeah. I wrote I wrote about the es- I th- essentially wrote about a New Hope and then like a bunch of other sci fi movies, yeah. but the title of the thesis was more machine than man. But, um, I-, I regret to this day, not writing about the prequels then because the original trilogy is even, you know, it's just so well-trodden territory yeah. that I feel like that would have been a, actually an interesting decision where I could have really mined new ground. Was I interested in doing that work back in college? Yeah. No, I was not. But now looking back, I wish I was. So I- in that way, <laughs> I'm like always looking for new, yeah avenues to talk more about prequels but again like in the lead up to like coming here and having this conversation with with you guys i was just like what hasn't been spoken about enough i don't know like yeah. nothing like literally you can pick the most like <laughs> specific t- like tangentially related star wars thing and it's already been talked to death yeah. so yeah there's no right now, Percy,
1: here's the genuine question would you be really willing, willing to watch all three prequels
0: uh yeah i'm unemployed
1: i think you should do that that's fun Because I think I also agree with Tucker where everything has been talked to death, but like those I feel like have been talked less to death in a positive or constructive manner. Yeah. Prequel Defenders. Prequel Defenders have
2: logged on. 100%. 100%. That's you and me. Prequel Nights.
0: (laughs) I, I actually have a question about that. Did you guys go through like a liking pop music, hating pop music, liking pop music again- version of like your relationship with the prequels did you have a point where you were like i mean yeah
1: yeah i definitely was burned out by the time revenge of the sith came out in 2005 like i don't have any toys from revenge of the sith i don't really have anything from that movie Mm -hmm. uh just because i didn't buy or, or you know i don't have anything that i haven't bought in the last three years from that movie and i feel like there was that there was sort of a dark period like two thousand six to like two thousand ten-ish when Disney came back and was like, Hey, we're redoing this, where it was kind of uh, you know, not really paying attention to it, not really watching those movies that much. That would be the dark period for me. Yeah.
2: I was I was always on board. I was always there. In fact, yeah. I think I probably I wish I was. Yeah, I wish I had been. I think I probably. I think I actually embraced like being a Star Wars fan even more in that it kind of exact period that Patrick was talking about, which I think is largely like high school era. Which is like, I remember there were these whiteboards in this one classroom in high school and I took them and I like essentially storyboarded on like six of them. The first, probably two acts, the first two thirds up until, up until like the like TIE fighter escape of A New Hope and with my, I'm a terrible illustrator. And I left them there and I was, I think that it was like a cool teacher. They ended up staying there for years, including after I graduated, like displayed in the room. And uh, I was really proud of that. So, um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I was, I I, I never left. I was always there. Yeah.
0: I feel like I want to ask more about like, I don't know, because obviously the crux of the show is like, why do these things or why do we latch on to these things and like mm-hmm. what happens then? I almost don't know where to start with Star Wars because it's like, like you said, like it's been talked about to death. And I'm, I don't, I don't want to yeah. invalidate your personal <laughs> histories with it.
1: Appreciate that.
0: But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but is there anything that you feel like as a kid you latched on to Star Wars because of a certain thing or there was a certain nugget of it? There
1: is, there's something for me, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The things, the two things that I was very into, and I think again Tucker can relate to at least one of these, was all the behind the scenes documentary stuff. That got me real into it. Um, Just rewatching and rewatching those. Because there wasn't like, those weren't super, um, like a lot of movies did not make those. I remember those and I remember the Forrest Gump one that was on the VHS. It was just one of those things that I would just watch those over and over again. Just because I wanted to be in that, you know, production y world, whatever. So that was big. And then the other one was I really liked all the creature design. That was the other thing that I got really into because I was like a big Muppet kid. Yeah, and stuff. you were a so Muppet kid. So it was kid. like one of the, yeah, so it, and and a Muppet adult. <laughs> but it was one of those things where I don't know if that was my in, but I think that's why, like the Jabba stuff in Return of the Jedi and the Cantina things were always my two favorite parts of those three movies. Um, so I think those were the big things for me. Yeah,
2: I definitely. Actually, something sprung to mind there. If personally, if you don't want to go all in on the seven-ish hour edition of this of all three prequels, we and just a, an idea is we could do like either just the documentary, the beginning, or like Phantom Menace plus the beginning. The beginning is and it's easily accessible. It's the making yeah. of documentary of Episode One. It's on YouTube. And I watched it. Maybe three months ago, I still go back and rewatch it. I yeah, love it yeah, so I also much. Uh, so yeah, I'm definitely on board with, with Patrick on on that side of things.
1: I'm not opposed to that. I'm not opposed to that.
2: I
0: like that idea a lot. Actually, to watch the documentary it's making because I've never, I mean, I've never it's even great. really heard of it.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's so good. It it, it is like the perfect amount, also of like '90s mm-hmm. as well, which I just adore. It is. Yeah. it's great. But.
0: i the other thing is like you guys were so young in 1999 1997 even it's like wild to me because like i didn't have that that kind of like oh maybe i'm interested in production until i was like in college
1: i don't think i realized that that's what i was interested in i think it was just one of those things where i was like oh i like watching this and then uh, later figured out hey maybe that means i'm interested in this
2: i think a big part of it as well is definitely that angle I think the first thing that just came to mind is just how it perfectly, I just like rode the wave through my entire adolescence from seven years old Mm -hmm. to 13 years old, which are like huge years. Yeah, And so like going into it as truly a a small boy who is just able to like talk and carry a conversation through to... An Anakin, if you will. Exactly. (laughs) Through to like... Attack of the Clones, which was, like, very much... I think Natalie Portman in Attack of the Clones was very much a... a, a I'm, I'm online now. A, a awareness in terms of horniness. Get frickin' horny. Um, not in necessarily in such a specific way when I was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. But in this way, where was like, whoa, what is this? And then coming out the other side and, like, going to see Revenge of the Sith with like, my little middle school girlfriend. You know? Uh, yeah. So just in that way where it felt, I feel like I can really associate and line up where i was in my life and like tie it to these to these movies although to this day i don't really view them by in in this nostalgic light you know i don't see it as things yeah. that once were and i'm kind of harkening back to that i still i still enjoy them in their kind of primary terms yeah
0: yeah. yeah. They, these things are not relegated to your childhoods at all. In, in no way. No. Not even a little no. bit. No. No, I know.
2: no, I think, though, because of We Were Born When We Were Born, we actually get the positive Star Wars version of that because there are some incredibly negative, toxic versions mm-hmm. of that in the Star Wars fandom where it's mm-hmm. like, if you were born instead of being born in 1991 or 1992, you were born in 1970, and then you were... 29 years old when the phantom menace comes out yeah that's where a lot of like that really kind of negative fan reaction comes from is because you know it's the classic like ruin my childhood thing
1: yeah and it's and and i think tucker and i are both on the positive end of the fandom where like we can have issues with stuff but it's also like who cares you know what i mean like it's not the end of the world for either of us
2: anytime a star wars thing like starts trending on twitter and yeah it's for those kind of reasons. Yeah, I love it. It's just a block farm. Yes, me too. I'll just me go too. in there, and I know I'm unlikely to interact with any of these yes. people, but a preemptive blocking. <laughs> oh yeah. them no, out. I, tossing I them out
1: regularly. We'll just search the phrase "ruin Johnson" and just block anyone. <laughs> <who's ever treated laughs> it. um, yeah, it's 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 that is what brings me almost as much joy as anything else in life. A lot of people um, grow up and don't realize that the things that they liked don't necessarily grow up with them or that their tastes can change as they get older. And that, I think, is the thing that kills a lot of those people who um, spend their nights angrily tweeting about Kelly Marie Tran or whatever. Like, they just don't realize that people's tastes change over time and you don't have to like all the things that you did as kids, even though Tucker and I do, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think we should table this. But I am interested in Patrick coming at this from like you were saying more of a production standpoint yeah. and do you feel like you come at this from a writing standpoint tucker since you're a writer
2: mm, i don't think so really i never really thought about it in those terms and i think i think that's definitely basically every other movie i've ever watched yes but weirdly not star wars because i think that's not really i don't think many people would argue that that's like one of the yeah
1: famously good writer
2: yeah like great things about star wars there's some incredible moments but i think it's maybe not the most like eye-catching things yeah although you know like going back and digging into speaking of star wars esoterica like going back and this is something that patrick and i've talked about with like other star wars nerds at the office is like going back and finding the first draft of the script for empire strike back and reading that and it would you know changed a, a mm-hmm. fair amount between that and what you actually see in the movie and reading it and loving it really really enjoying it and and so you know that's definitely like a, a weird kind of back door way into it that i can you know find a way to connect those two things but i think in general and certainly when i was a kid it, it, it wasn't really yeah
0: so i'm gonna say that i'm definitely gonna watch the documentary i might half watch phantom menace and then watch the last two prequels really yeah does that sound wow. good
2: Wow, that's great. That sounds great. Oh, all right, I was gonna say, just like make sure you have enough in the tank about *Phantom Menace*, so you know, like when you see Rick McCallum tra- traversing the sands of Tunisia yeah. and 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 just crying out in despair uh, into the summer sky yeah. about how the plywood <laughs> uh, pod racer got broken into a million pieces, you'll understand the sequence that they were trying uh-huh. to film that got ruined. Then, when they were going to look somewhere in the desert for uh Liam Neeson's wig <laughs> and they couldn't find it <laughs> yes. or whatever. Like I'm at the point now where this documentary where I know it as well as some yeah. of the movies. Yeah.
0: Now now that we're talking about this what leads you guys to rewatch this stuff? Like what's the mood? What's the like is it like oh a friend wants to watch it or you're like alone and you're like I'm having a bad night and I want to rewatch The Director and the Jedi?
1: Well, sometimes <laughs> sometimes I'll just wake up Sometimes I'll wake up and I'll be happy and then I'll watch it, or I'll wake up and I'll be sad and then I watch it, or I'll wake up and I'll be angry and then I watch. It. I'll just, you know, there's no, there's no rhyme. But or there right is end. the, but there is the feeling welling it's up inside like, you. It's just, yeah, no, it's just. Oh, today's a good day to watch footage of Rick McCallum calling Natalie Portman's agent. <laughs> no, I <you> don't. <laughs> know? Oh, it's fucking riveting. You, oh, you will be. You will. <laughs> okay,
0: so it's not like a rainy day, sick day. Oh, uh,
1: it's an everyday. Yeah, it's I agree. Every day. Every day. How many, times do you, how many times do you think you've seen it, Tucker, realistically? Wait, what are we uh, talking about? Since since 1999, the, the documentary? documentary, since the DVD came out, I would say, yeah. Probably,
2: I don't know, 30, 30, 40? Yeah. I would say like, I'd probably like 15 for me. Yeah. I, I Just because it was at a point where I was like, I think there was a point where I like put it on to go to sleep. Yeah. Where it was just so comforting and good. Also, there's a specific talking about the production side of things. There's a specific like cross section there when we talk about like it's it's a great '90s flashback. Mm-hmm. There's like another area of this definitely drifts more into nostalgia for me. Is just like there's something I'm I'm embarrassing like a big Anglophile, and there's something about the 1990s in England that I'm obsessed with, and it makes me love movies like 101 Dalmatians, It makes me love movies mm-hmm. like Spice World. <laughs> and and like the beginning the the making of star wars episode one documentary mm-hmm. um but the specific in specific star wars terms the specific star wars and production terms episode one is still shot on film and still was you know they were still going to tunisia to to shoot a lot of these things and that changed a lot yeah. in the second two prequels which is yeah. still awesome and the revenge of the cis uh, making of documentary is also one of my favorite Behind the scenes making of like features, ever. Yeah. it's so 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 awesome. That one leans a lot more heavily, I think, into like like the yeah. like digital production of things. But uh, yeah, it's the sweet spot.
0: No, yeah, I didn't know you were an angle file.
2: Yeah, it sucks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, okay, great. <laughs> Let's do it.
2: All right, so the official call is all three prequels plus the making of documentary.
1: We're gonna do it.
2: Wow. <laughs>
3: The auteur theory of film actually is very true if you know directors uh, because they are very much like their movies Uh, and in the case of somebody who writes and directs, you know, it is my life. I mean everything I write is my life. I'm not writing some sort of hypothetical thesis on something. I'm writing a story that I have to get extremely emotional involved in because it's going to take two or three years of my life to do it. So I can't just sort of say, oh this will be fun and knock it off in a week I have to, this is like a marriage. This goes on, you have to be in love with this thing for at least four or five years and probably for the rest of your life.
0: What did you guys wind up watching? Patrick, if you wanna go first.
1: I uh, I watched the beginning. I watched it about an hour ago, the making of episode one doc. Yeah, same. And then, I, and then I also watched uh, the first 20 minutes of In a Minute, the uh, episode three making of Doc, but I know you probably didn't watch that. So I watched
0: uh, The Beginning, the documentary about episode one, and then I watched episode two and episode three, which is yeah. sort of a weird way to watch the prequels. <laughs> um, but uh, I think right. I am really interested in watching the documentary for The Last Jedi. You really sold me on that and i'm living with a big ryan johnson fan so i've actually been weirdly watching all the ryan johnson movies this year uh brick the brothers bloom the whole the whole yep. cabal
1: the whole yeah the whole uh john john <laughs> i don't have anything <laughs> just move on just move on uh yeah that documentary's great though it's really i think it's the closest any movie making of documentary almost or maybe just any star wars making documentary has come to that episode one making of doc since uh because it really shows like the highs and the lows of a lot of the production i mean what did you think about what were your favorite parts of the beginning i'm curious to hear about that
0: i i mean i really liked a lot of the uh, essentially like the puppeteering i don't know what the word is but Mm -hmm. like showing all the behind Mm -hmm. the scenes of the modeling and the puppets Mm -hmm. like when they have i mean it's frank oz right When they have him in the little trough, Mm -hmm. I don't know what you call that, the little thing that he's standing in, like actually doing the voice. And it's amazing to see that.
1: Agree with you, the council does. Your apprentice, young Skywalker, will be.
0: And the other thing, the the thing that I really came away with from from the film, and I've heard this, obviously, I don't know that much about this stuff, but I've sort of heard this already, is... How much George Lucas was interested in creating ILM and making that a big thing and the production of it and the like advancing the technology behind making the movies almost more so than making the actual movies?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Um, And I didn't know, I was like, it seemed a little obvious to me when you watch the documentary that that's what they're interested in. And I was like, is that on purpose that they're like showing you this?
1: He well yeah that's, that's that feels like a great tagline for that documentary. <laughs> Is <laughs> it on that purpose a- that they're showing us this? <laughs> yeah. Um he like actively wanted other people to direct those prequel movies and basically everyone was like no why would we do that George you have to do this.
2: Wasn't there wasn't there early discussions with, I don't even know if you could call them discussions, it's probably just as, went as far as George Lucas's brain of like he does one, Ron yeah. Howard does two, and then yeah. Spielberg does three. I
1: mean, that was that was what...
2: Uh, and I still think about that. I still fantasize about that.
1: I was just about to say, what would a Ron Howard Star Wars movie look like? And then I remembered that there is a Ron Howard Star Wars movie. Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> solo lover yeah, solo right lover here. here right too we, we have a solo, solo lo- No, no 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 i'm not saying two i'm saying i'm identifying you as a solo. oh lover. yeah
1: oh interesting in more ways than one yeah well all right <laughs> I, god this is not about solo we're not gonna talk about solo okay um i think it's better than people get i think Regardless. it's better than people give it credit for it's not a perfect movie And I think there's obviously a lot of problems with it. And I think it could have been a lot more fun had they kept the Lord and Miller going on it. But I think it's a fun movie. And uh, I think it only gets better on rewatch. That's my take.
0: So as we were saying. I digress.
1: We
2: digress. George
0: George Lucas potentially didn't actually want to direct the prequels. Yeah, I mean, especially me as a producer, though an audio producer is fairly different than a movie producer,
2: mm-hmm. it
0: really seemed to just like these guys stressing about how to make the movie within time, within budget. And like that, I mean, I guess that is sort of the the romance of behind the scenes is yeah. like seeing all those worries and intri- intricacies and everything that goes wrong and stuff. And it is like same... This is weird actually, but one of the things that made me want to go into production was watching a behind the scenes of the filming of Game of Thrones.
2: Oh, interesting. Relevant. It, it actually genuinely directly relevant. Because uh, and this is one of my favorite things about the beginning, you know that squirrely little kind of foppish He's an A D, isn't he? What is he? See is he first A D? Uh, who walks around and is like, you know, prancing around the set in Tunisia with like his uh, Lawrence of Arabia white, you know, scarf and hat. And I just have always gotten the sense that Lucas and Rick McCollum thought he was a fucking pain in the ass when working (laughs) with him. That guy's name is Christopher Newman. And guess what he went on to do after being AD on... Episode one, he went on to executive produce Game of Thrones. And now he's probably the richest man in the world. And also, George visited the set of Game of Thrones and gave them notes.
1: (laughs) That's true. There you go.
0: So, (laughs) I I, yeah, so I like that about it. But it also, like you said, it's almost like, is this, am I supposed to be seeing this? It felt felt that
2: way the whole time. I think some of my favorite moments come... I think are, are kind of centered around Rick McCallum who has, you know, we could, I, I keep wanting to say Patrick and I could probably do an entire podcast about any one of these individual subjects. Rick McCallum now mm-hmm. like lives in like, Prague. maybe doesn't even work yeah in czech republic yeah. um he probably obviously has enough money to just live and never work again for the rest of his life but he has a reputation or has kind of gotten this reputation i think over the years because he was the sole producer of the prequels and because there was such vitriol directed towards those movies as like the yes man who just like you know refused to you know like challenge Lucas on any of his ideas. Which one is the job of a producer? The producer just makes the director's vision come to life. But two, I just really enjoy watching him in this because I think he is a genuinely like charismatic figure, and I think a, that's a really important tool in in a producer's tool belt is to. I guess just be someone that people want to be around, be someone that people want to listen to or work with or something like that. And I just really love a lot of the moments with him, whether it's the very end where he goes to that theater in San Francisco on opening night, which is just a spine tingling moment. I genuinely, I've watched that moment in particular Hundreds of times more than I've watched the whole documentary itself, just because I'll dive in and, and just watch that a little bit. Or like him on the phone with Ewan McGregor or him, you know, during the casting process or him, like we mentioned in the first part of this podcast, like bummed out because of the crazy storm in Tunisia or whatever. I, I think he's a really compelling dude.
0: I The scene that stuck out to me, I actually don't remember who it was. Maybe it's Ewan McGregor. He's just like, can you get them on the phone for me? Can you get them on the phone for me? Yeah. yeah. And it, is it Ewan? It's Ewan. It's Ewan. Because he like,
2: just goes, dude.
3: Dude. I'm so f***ing happy. This is just, it's brilliant. It's so, I'm so happy. George is so happy. It's just, it's just fantastic. Listen, I had, uh, I saw Liam on Sunday yeah. in Prague and, and I told him we were getting closer and closer and he was so thrilled. I mean, really, really happy. We all are. It's going to be fantastic. I mean, it's going to be a great movie. It's going to be a lot of
2: fun. I think that was like I think that was supposed to be the first conversation they had post like the deal is signed. It's official. Yeah. Like yeah. he's on board. the f-
1: The fascinating thing that I have heard from a few people is that he was very difficult to deal with. I love. Which it. is not the impression that he. Who? Yeah, but I don't Rick? think it's the impression Rick. I don't think it's the impression that he gives off in those video, in the interviews, or in the docs. I think. Uh, I think it's a very. I think he built himself. I mean, I don't know this. I think he built himself to be like, I'm going to be the public-facing guy because George isn't necessarily going to do all these interviews. I want to be the guy who can go on these uh, making of things and be like, hey, I, I did a lot of this. I'm-, I'm the guy who was in charge of a lot of it. Like, yeah. it was just it's fascinating that it wasn't necessarily what people on set felt about him. Which again, you got to be a hard ass when you're working on a movie like that or any movie, you know. So it's just it's interesting that there was a slight disconnect between.
2: I can see it though. I like I yeah. do see a connection with like someone cuz I think like being cool and like fast talking yeah. and easy to talk to can be very quickly associated with like being strident or being like dismissive or whatever. You know sure. what I mean? And sure. you know like any interaction you like any of us might have had with anyone remotely in this kind of world, you just go like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's funny that you say that because I actually don't think that George Lucas comes across very well in the documentary. Which moments in
2: particular? That's interesting. You just
3: have to be able to animate that in two weeks. And- the real point is is how can we manage to change the operating procedures in a way that we can completely revolutionize the way we make movies so that this is all doable. Because it's not just, it's not just that we have to do it for this picture, we have to do it for two more pictures. And also if this picture works, then everybody also want it done for their picture. Mm-hmm. And what are we going to do? You know, I mean, nobody can afford, to I just think
0: parts, he, so. he doesn't seem preoccupied with the storytelling as much as he seems preoccupied with like, mm-hmm. how are we yeah. going to get this done?
1: I mean, I think also you have to remember dude hadn't directed a movie since
2: 1977. So this has been 20s, 20 years when they were shooting, I guess. So, yeah. 20 years, 20 years, 76 yeah. to 97.
1: Yeah. Yeah
0: how he been working? What had he been doing in that time period? He'd been
1: producing. He'd been mostly producing. I mean, he directed some occasional like second unit stuff. He directed some of Return of the Jedi, like second unit, but he was not the director on either of those other Star Wars. Um, he had been like producing and sort of just like building this, you know, uh company and conglomerate. He like helped get Pixar off the ground and like he, you know, he did a bunch of like behind the scenes tech stuff. So I think it's one of those things where you're watching and you're like, oh, dude's clearly in over his head. And it's tough once you hit that certain point. Like you see it in the documentary when they're watching the first cut and you just see the dread come over his face.
0: It's heartbreaking.
1: It is. It's so heartbreaking because you're like, all these people put in so much time and money and effort and years and years of their lives. And like he knows he's about to get dunked on because he realizes while he's watching it that like, ah, this movie is not what it should be. And there's no way really to fix it now uh granted you know i think they all may have been a little hard on themselves um because i don't know i have a better take on that a nicer take on that movie than a lot of people do i think yeah especially out of the three i think it's the best of the three because it feels the most tangible and the most real Mm -hmm. um even though people were dunking on it for being so cgi heavy
2: this is something i've been just i don't want to spend any time talking about this and that's the point here but just as an aside, this is something I've been thinking about over the past couple of days is just like how fucking exhausting it is to me to hear people dunking on the prequels. Yeah. I, it kills me to this day and you'll still hear people do it. Like on podcasts, Star Wars will come up and they'll be like, oh, what was the deal with what, fucking Jar Jar whatever? Yeah. It kills me so badly. I hate it. It's so yeah. like... It's
1: just uh, now at the same time, Persia. if you're negative on the prequels, I would be genuinely curious to hear new eyes on it because the people who I think Tucker is talking about it's are this is different crust crusty middle-aged white guys yeah. and it's boring. So I genuinely do want to hear what your opinion is.
2: Yeah, someone with fresh eyes on it is that's uh, that's that's just interesting, particularly if they don't have a lot of Star Wars knowledge coming in.
1: Yes. And feel free to be negative if you want to be negative. It's yeah. totally fine.
2: It's the people who went into it expecting to relive the glory days, seeing something that yeah. just clearly wasn't made for them and getting mad yeah. about it. That's what yeah. kills me. And who aren't over it 20 years later.
0: I have I have one big question, I think, before we get into talking more about this stuff. Because yeah. it, it's also sort of been on my mind, which is... What do you feel like your Star Wars fandom is for you? Because I think a lot of times it feels like collecting-based. The way I see people interact with their fandom can be collecting-based. Not just collecting like physical items, but collecting knowledge, collecting factoids, collecting information. Because I was thinking of that sort of collection-oriented fandom versus sort of like a let's say like a more like living in a world fandom where you're like, you want to read fan fiction. You're just sort of like, you're very much more like imagining yourself in that world, in that headspace. And you j- you like rewatching things because you want to live in that world fandom. And I was just wondering like what, I mean, it could be many things. It could be both of those things. What Star Wars feels like for you.
2: Well, I think that's a really, really great point. And that's something that I spent years thinking about the dichotomy also there includes on the former side experiences. Like this is a Star Wars experience I had, or this is something I did, or this is something, you know, I went to, you know, I went to some shooting location, or I went to the convention, or whatever. I was at, you know, the first Star Wars celebration, whatever it might be. And I see that as directly included as well. So I actually think of my I I I do think of myself as like part of the more kind of collective collector crowd but I don't mean that in terms of like oh I have I have the original like Kenner toys I like I I got them all in like pristine condition or whatever like I think of it in terms of experiences and I think that's actually directly related to a particular experience I had which woke me up to this idea of like oh I love Star Wars so much and this is something that I've done that I think is unique in being a Star Wars fan and it's funny that I hadn't thought of it At all until right now, because it is the kind of crown jewel of my Star Wars fandom, which is when they were making episode seven, uh, the movie was announced. They also simultaneously during pre-production, they announced that they were holding open auditions for roles in the movies. And all of those, I think bar maybe one or two in Chicago were in the UK and Ireland. I was studying abroad in Madrid at the time. I heard about this and I said, one, I'm not an actor. Two, I have no ambitions to be an actor. It's it's a world that I I am scared of and, you know, have no interest in. But I said, I need to do this. I just have to. I can't, like, this can't be there and just me not do it because that's at the, it, all it is is just a great story. So I flew from Madrid to Dublin. Uh, this is November 2013. Went, stayed there for a weekend. Waited on this long open audition line at Croke Park, which is this rugby stadium there. Waited online for three hours from like 6 a.m. It was draconian how they were doing it. Because there were people, these like, you know, Irish kids who are like my age or younger or slightly older, whatever. Waited in line for three hours in the freezing Dublin fog. (laughs) uh, Got into the building. Reached the first like checkpoint. A, you know, casting associates, 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 mm-hmm. assistant, look him up and down and said, thanks, but no, thank you. And just pushed them out the door and they left. Um, <laughs> I got past that line and then I got past the next line and then I got past the next one. And then at that point I was in this waiting room with like two other people. I go in, I have a nice chat with whoever's in charge. And she asked me about myself. She asked me read. There's like cold read some stuff. I do it. She's like, okay, great. That was great. Come back later tonight. Memorize these lines, come back later tonight. You'll read, you'll read again. So I leave, I go to like some Dublin coffee shop, try and memorize these lines. This is not a memory, a muscle memory I have at all. Uh, uh, I do it, do my best, go back that night, read it again. They said, "Uh, okay, that was great. Come back tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, And do it again. So I went and uh, stayed at some hostel in Temple Bar, which is a a neighborhood in Dublin. Uh, There was a guy named, I think, like, Sergey, who was sleeping in the bunk underneath me. He was definitely a contract killer. I woke up the next morning, took some gross shower, went there again, and read again, this time on tape. And that's where my story ends. But... (laughs) That experience. I've never heard that story. <laughs> I, I I I actually forget it more than I feel like I even should because I, the entire reason I did it is for the ability to tell that story. Yeah. So somewhere out there in some, you know, Disney backlog computer um, yeah. hard drive, there is a, a, a tape of me sweating and and scared and uh reading some lines that are you know dummy lines for star wars episode seven uh and then i got on the plane went back to madrid and spilled a coca-cola on my jeans got naked on an airplane for the <laughs> first time ever when i had to change both my pants and my underwear in the bathroom that was awesome took a second to look myself in the mirror and say you're naked on an airplane landed and that's the end of the story but that's exactly the kind of thing that i think you're jumping into where it's just like what kind of notches on your belt do you have as a Star Wars fan uh, that I definitely uh, ascribe to? I'll <laughs> say this. You would have made a great leader of Conja Club. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yo, what do you think you were auditioning for?
2: They ended up casting people from that process. I could be wrong, but I believe Patrick, Sh- the, one of them is the woman who um, gets killed when uh the republic gets destroyed Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. she had this whole sequence that got cut out yeah but you just see her death and the other guy ended up being like the one of the lead uh uh one of like kylo ren's lead kind of lieutenant stormtroopers wow that's cool yeah i could have worn a Stormtrooper helmet i could have done that absolutely come on (laughs) two things you
1: being the lead of a star wars movie is the funniest thing just because you would hate it so much (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah. I would be Jake Lloyd.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. That would be me. Oh, poor kid. <laughs> I, I also sort of thought this story was going to end with you being like, yeah, I'm in Maz's Cantina. I just don't really talk about it a lot. I'm just like <laughs> You had a part. <laughs> you just don't talk about it a lot. Um, that's wild. I'm going to need you to repeat the question.
0: The question? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I, the question is m- more so like what what you feel like your ongoing relationship to like being a fan of this is how do you feel like you're interacting with it in a way that is like feels good to you
1: yeah i mean it's definitely changed over the last few years just because of the other show that i'm working on like it puts me in that weird Star Wars. I have to think about Star Wars a lot, even if the show is not necessarily about Star Wars all the time. Like you're just in that headspace all the time. Like I, we're doing a, a fundraiser next week where we're only talking to people who are in Harrison Ford movies. So like my last two weeks have just been like I've watched like probably 13 Harrison Ford movies in the last two. Like it's just it's always there, even if it's not something I'm uh, dealing. With. Even you're looking at me right now. And there's a poster for the last movie that George Lucas ever made uh, right behind me. And it just has nothing to do with anything. So it's just like set dressing in my life at this point. Like, you know, everything is everywhere. And it's uh, it's just not even <laughs> something I think about anymore. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, I watched that documentary and I'm like, oh, I'm happy while I'm watching this. <laughs> Like, it's like yeah. an easy way to cheer me up, even though I've seen it so many times. It's just like how people will throw on episodes of The Office or something as comfort food. And I'm like, no, I just want to see that lady yell at John Noel in the parking lot. Tucker was right. Like, it was the <laughs> one thing I noticed while I was watching. I was like, oh, yeah, that does sound 80 yard. <laughs> like, it was just right? picking up on new things like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, again, Percy, you and I like a lot of the same stuff, it seems like, because all of the creature stuff and the puppeteering stuff is my favorite things in those documentaries. And I think yeah. that was a lot of why I got into it in the first place was because that was what I was super into as a kid, and some people never outgrow their childhood interests, so it's still what I'm, <laughs> still what I'm into.
0: I feel like also in rewatching the prequels,
1: mm-hmm.
0: maybe even sci-fi as a genre, I feel like you, like it's great if there's great writing and there's great acting, but mm-hmm. a lot of. The good stuff is just like, oh, look at that cool fucking city they just made up. Look at that. Look at that spaceship. Look at that weird alien animal. Look at that weird alien civilization. Like, I do think there's a point in that being the focus. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a merit to that in that being the focus of production, which you can see in the behind the scenes of, like, creating just different worlds, different creatures, different places to be. Yeah.
1: Yeah yeah I mean there's no you know he definitely was surrounded by a lot of talented people and I think if he had maybe brought in someone to help him more with the script those movies would be remembered a lot better than they are by a lot of people and I was gonna say it's not even that it's like a bad story necessarily it's just you know it's clunky dialogue and expositional in some ways and I think someone could have helped sand it off those edges a lot of the visual stuff is great and a lot of the world building is great and the fact that he didn't just make these retreads of the original three movies is great. But Percy is right. You know, like you need those visuals and you need that uh, sense of scale and grandeur for those sci-fi movies. And I, I think these movies have them, even if you don't necessarily agree with what's going on on screen is the best way to tell the story.
2: Percy watching episodes two and three again. To go, to go to that direction, when we're talking about this type of stuff, about like striking visuals or planets or alien races or set pieces or anything like that, what stood out to you? What comes to mind immediately when we start talking about those things with episodes two and three?
0: Weirdly enough, episode two really was like registering in my memory a lot. Like I remembered being a kid watching the like execution scene mm-hmm. when all this they're like riding out and you see all these like I don't know what they are bug aliens.
2: Genotions. Um. They're called Genotions <laughs> per se. Here's, here's my impression of that scene. Ready? Yeah! <laughs> I think that's just a <laughs> oh, cool I, you know, be honestly, Attack of the Clones has some conju club level awesome alien dialogue like sounds. Yeah. So genuinely cool. <laughs> i extremely love it that guy the like uh techno yeah Watt tambor
1: yeah Watt tambor yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah 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 yeah, yeah. he's the one who uh, percy
1: he's the metal man who goes like the techno union will not stand for this yeah the techno union yes i remember that guy now yeah yeah
0: yeah Yeah, so that i mean like sure like give me a fucking like desert arena scene but i also really love when um they're trying to track the assassin who's trying to kill um padme and it's very like neon futuristic city Mm -hmm. the air traffic of all the different little spaceships and the bar that they go into like that stuff is very like classic sci-fi in a way that's still very fun I even like that weird like water planet that they go to that mm-hmm. all the clones are being made. A lot of that yeah, stuff awesome. really stuck in my brain, yeah. in a way that um, the last one, Revenge of the Sith, mm-hmm. in in the way that Revenge of the Sith I like did not really remember at all. Mm-hmm. Like when Palpatine goes into that like long exposure about like his mentor, mm-hmm. I guess Darth whatever. Mm-hmm who mm-hmm. I killed. I was like, I don't who? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't remember anything about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, those were the the scenes that stood out to me. I even like the the fight they do on the like conveyor belts where they've been like making machines. Oh, yeah.
1: Machines making machines. How inhumane.
0: Machines making machines. <laughs> yeah. The fight the fight they do on that conveyor belt was fun.
1: Oh, well, that's I good that you that's good that you like some stuff. I I'm happy to hear that. What what didn't you like?
0: Well, here's what, here's a, a couple questions I have yeah. before we get into that. How, <laughs> if you guys know this, how were the prequels like marketed? Because, so the originals come out and yeah. you know what happens in the originals. And then you're like, yeah. okay, well, now we're going back. They're prequels. Like, whoa, it's not a sequel. It's a prequel. Yeah. I just couldn't tell how much was supposed to be like a mystery and how much is just supposed to be like, let's line up the dominoes and watch them fall.
1: Let's do something right now. Is it can exercise? you go watch? Can you no, no? <laughs> can you watch the trailers while we're on here? Uh, yeah, I guess.
3: I will not condone a course of action that will lead us to war.
2: A communications disruption can mean only one thing:
3: invasion. <sighs>
0: At last, we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi.
3: At last, we will have revenge. Begin landing your troops.
0: We haven't much time.
3: The Federation has gone too far.
0: The death toll is catastrophic.
3: Our people are dying, Senator. We must do something quickly.
2: You must contact me. There is something else behind all this, Your Highness. They will kill you if you stay. I can only protect you.
0: I can't fight a war for you.
2: I think we're going to have to accept Federation control for the time being. This is a battle
1: I do not think that we can win.
3: I will sign no treaty, Senator.
1: You said people gonna die? Once those droids take control of the surface, they will take
0: control of you.
3: I was not elected to watch my people suffer and die while you discuss this invasion in a committee. Get to
1: your ships! They will never get me onto one of those dreadful starships. Always do. There are a master and an apprentice.
2: them to this day almost in exact contrast to the fan reaction to episode one is the fan reaction to the episode one trailer which is like famously amazing and like people yeah it played it played before incredible.
1: meet Joe black Percy the the Brad Pitt movie and like, a, like enough people where this became a thing, people would go to meet Joe Black, watch the trailer, leave, and ask for their money back, and theaters had to be like, no, we're not doing this anymore. Too many of you have done this.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's, the, like, a lot of what I was trying to figure out when I was watching the prequels, is, like, what yeah. were audiences coming to this for? Yeah. Like, what did they expect? And, like, did yeah. it fulfill
2: that? It's It's kind of an inherently, like... It's Yeah, it's inherently like a mythology or storytelling, I guess you could make the argument, film nerds proposition at large is because it's a foregone conclusion. And I think that is kind of, I feel like if you asked me today, I feel like that would kind of be a hard sell for something that's so so well-known, and that isn't like, you know, the Game of Thrones prequels that we're hearing about, or like, anything that's, like, set in the world of XYZ, and it's exploring, you know, things like that, or it's somehow just tangentially related to the original IP. Um These are, like, directly related, same characters at times, and this is just, like, this is how that happened, to a T. Um, like, even Rogue One is in left field. You know what I mean? It is like new characters that just ties into the original story, like right at the end. Uh, So I feel like on its core level, it's inherently not flawed, but just a very risky proposition to try and sell in a blockbuster movie. You know what I mean? Like in a, in a, in like films that are supposed to make hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of just like, you know how the story ends and it just makes me wonder I don't know what the answer is today but it makes me wonder like what the value of that is to a global scale audience of like I know how this ends why would I care I don't know if that's a, like a popular sentiment or if people genuinely are invested in like backstories in understanding character motivations and things like that which are much more important in something like this So, yeah, it's that's something I haven't thought too much about, but it's a it's an interesting Mm -hmm. kind of contradiction there.
1: I think the thing you also have to remember is there hadn't really been anything in Star Wars since it ended, you know, except for the special editions, any like new real stuff since 83. They had like some books and some games and stuff, but you had to be like a real frickin nerd to like be reading those books. And, like, Jedi doesn't end on, like, a downer note. Like, people weren't burned out by it by the end. Some people didn't like it as much, but it was not, like, the huge disappointment that a lot of, um, you know, franchises that are ending. Like, Game of Thrones. Like, you know, there's the Game of Thrones prequels and stuff. And, like, I feel like a lot of people might be burned out by the end of Game of Thrones because it wasn't up to what they wanted it to be. Whereas this sort of stayed consistent quality. You know, people liked it through the end. So they were excited and the momentum was there because they're like, oh, yeah, they those three are great. You know, like they didn't they didn't have the oh, well, it, you know, it ended badly. So I'm not expecting anything good out of these like they didn't know what was coming. And the first one was marketed so much more. If, if I remember right, correct me if I'm wrong, Tucker, so much more than the second two, because the first one came out and it was like they had sold it so you could buy like. Uh, you know, Padme Amidala freaking like uh, hair straightener and like a Jar Jar Binks like the diapers for your kids or whatever. Like you could buy whatever you wanted. And then by the second or third one, they were like, oh, we put out too much product. There's still 7,000 boxes of Jar Jar Action Figures in like Kenosha, Wisconsin in a freaking warehouse uh, out by the airport. So like, let's not do it as much. So they like dropped it significantly. So there's significantly less merchandise for two and three because uh, people just got burned out so quickly with one once they realized oh we don't necessarily like this movie as much as we want to
0: yeah so my other the really nerdy take take I have had with this with the prequels Mm -hmm. is that I mean I think so much of the failure of it to me is like how cringy the love story is the other side of that is that In some ways, it was like, I don't know why I went to Shakespearean terms. It's Mm -hmm. very Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. You guys are being, like, very dumb right now. Like, in some ways, I was like, yeah, that's how I was when I wanted a boyfriend when I was 13.
1: Yes. And they're also, I mean, you have to remember, what is he? He's 16, supposed to be 17, and she's, like, 20-something. Like, you know, they're not, they are children still.
0: Yeah. In some ways, I was like, this feels a little accurate that they're, like... A baby's first love story, and it's it's going to end in total tragedy like a, a, like a true Shakespeare where every single person dies at the end. And I was like, why did they even push the romance so hard? And I was like, I guess there's a romance in the original trilogy, but it's much more like Much Ado About Nothing. It's sort of built on the, not even the will they, won't they, but just like they're fighting. Yeah. It's not a romance that's built on them being in love.
1: And here's the other thing. Uh, which is something that we talked about episode three ends with so many nice little neat bows tied and he knew he needed those babies being born and he knew he needed that mom to be out of the picture yeah so like it's sort of i feel like it feels like it comes out of nowhere because he's like well it It has has to to happen happen. in the second movie because otherwise it just doesn't happen and it needs to happen
0: right because he meets her And he says, I haven't seen you for 10 years. She doesn't even really remember him that. Like, who knows how much she's been thinking about this nine year old she met? You're sweating. Relax.
2: Take a deep breath. I haven't seen her in 10 years, master.
1: It's so smiling to see you, sir.
2: Good to see you again, Jar Jar. Senator Padman!
1: Miss Apollo's here. Looky, looky, Senator. Decent a Jedi arriving. It's a great pleasure to see
0: you again, my lady.
3: And it's been far too long, Master Kenobi. Annie? My goodness, you've grown. So have you. Grown more beautiful, I mean. Well, for a senator, I mean. <laughs> and he will always be that little boy I knew on tattooing.
0: Okay. I guess that's yeah. what we're going to yeah. do.
2: I don't know how much of the complication of this comes from the fact that it's perceived mm-hmm. as a failure or comes from the fact that it's just straight up poorly executed. I don't know. But a scene that I think about often is that final scene between Obi-Wan and Padme in Revenge of the Sith. Essentially, shit's going down. Finally, Obi-Wan goes to Padme's apartment and has like a final conversation with her. And I think I actually truly genuinely believe that that scene is wonderfully written because it, he, uh, he asks her, it's, it's a, it's a back and forth conversation frank conversation that they haven't had before, um, and a rare scene between just the two of them, two characters that we've seen you know, for, for years prior. I, I just love these two beats that the kind of scene is built around. The first is Padme asking Obi-Wan, you're going to kill him, aren't you? And Obi-Wan doesn't answer. And then he asks her later in that scene, Anakin's the father, isn't he? And she doesn't answer. So it's a kind of, uh, you know, I I love the words unsaid in that scene so much. And it really, truly reaches those among the greatest like operatic scales. And I think it just totally hits this moment of like, you know, like lies coming to the front, coming to the fore people, you know, learning things they shouldn't have learned people having regrets and people choosing to stay silent, like because they are found out. I don't know. You know, it reminds me, like, my favorite movie of all time is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and my favorite scene in that movie is, like, where they're all sitting around a fire fire pit talking about them dying, and they know two of the three characters know they're going to die, and they're all lying to each other about them dying. And they're all saying, yep, we'll see you. We'll see you in a week. And everybody knows that everyone else is lying, but no one calls anybody else on it because they just want to live in that. So I truly do feel like it can stand on its own merits at times. But that just might be my programming. And at the same time, even if being generous, it's not just my programming. It's, you know, it's a a rare moment where like the writing might actually hit upon something. It becomes Mm -hmm. a question of how much can an audience take of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I also think uh, realistically, I think dude had a lot on his plate and some things fell through the cracks and that storyline may have been one of them. And, uh, you know, it's tough for me to blame him um, because I get it. But at the same time, it's a big part of that second movie, at least. um, And it's a shame. I do think it gets and this is not me giving you more homework. This is just me stating something that gets built out better over time with the Clone (laughs) Wars TV show. Makes you appreciate these movies a lot more because it helps flesh out a lot of the stuff that feels rushed and, uh, you know, if you're like, wait, why did he turn bad so quickly? There's like hours of shit that you can watch where it's like, oh, it makes so much more sense if I'm watching this as a part of the story, which is not how entertainment should probably be enjoyed. But it it's there if you want it and it's there if you're like, I wish I understood this a little bit better. And I think, the you know, the romance isn't a huge part of that show, but it is there also, and it helps you see them a little bit more in normal situations, whereas I feel like, you know, you're watching these movies, and it's like every second is uh, they're in for the fight of their lives, and it's like that's not how a relationship is built when you're both being attacked by Nexus and Reeks in a large arena on Geonosis, you know? Uh, I
0: Actually, one thing... <laughs> One thing that I also <laughs> wanted to say, oh, about what Tucker was saying about that scene. I mean, like you and McGregor is good the whole time.
1: Yeah. And that's why he's getting a show.
2: Yeah. That's kind of the, the consensus.
0: <laughs> and he bringing me back to the beginning, the documentary, he seems like he's excited and like having fun and mm-hmm. is there to have fun. <laughs> There's a lot of other shots you see of people who are like, oh, fuck, oh, shit, we got to make a movie. And Ewan McGregor is like, yeah, Mm -hmm. shave my head. You want to do a weird hair Mm -hmm. thing? Go for it.
2: Yeah, there's a moment where they're shooting the Duel of the Fates uh, lightsaber fight, Mm -hmm. and they try and use a trampoline so he can jump up. But you can see the bounce, so they get a bunch of dudes to like lift him up Mm -hmm. on a... a
0: two by six yeah
2: yeah and then like he falls over into some cardboard boxes and they they, like bleep it out or like edit out they swear in there where he turns to i think nick gillard and he says like do
3: you want to do star wars they said i said too fucking right
2: (laughs) they asked me do you want to do a star wars movie and i said "Too fucking (laughs) right you know or something like that and you really truly you're so right you see the joy on his face
1: and he seems psyched to come back to do more which is also great. You know what I mean? It's just like one of those things where it's like, it's great that you're having a good time. It's really nice. And I'm happy that Hayden is coming back and doing more. Like, it's just like, even though they went through a lot of shit for these movies, like, it's nice to see that they're like, yeah, I get it. it people like it. It's fun. I'm going to do more of it. And and I'm, you know, getting paid nicely. Yeah.
0: I was wondering, there was something specifically painful sort of about them watching i mean seeing child actors i think in any context is always a little like mm-hmm. teeth gritting um but mm-hmm. seeing them cast uh jake lloyd is like oh mm-hmm. like this is the biggest moment of your life and like maybe the worst moment of your life all wrapped into yeah. one. like seeing yeah. and seeing the guy who plays Charger. Jar, he's so excited to be there just all these things even watching natalie portman something about it is like watching people before a catastrophe and you're like oh my god they don't know what's about to happen yeah that's sort of bone chilling about the documentary
1: i think the only one who in 2021 has not come through it on the other side feeling pretty good is jake unfortunately and i think there's a lot going on there and hopefully you know he gets that he gets the help he needs, but like Ahmed, the guy who plays Jar Jar seems like he's doing okay. Now he's got a kid, like he's happy. He's like putting together a one man show. You know what I mean? Like he's like, he's figured it out and he's figured out what his place in all of this is. And even though it's not uh, necessarily what I think he hoped it would be, I think he has, he still enjoys that. He's a part of it and he still likes that. And Natalie, you know, it's just not a big part of her life anymore because she's done so many other things. So, like, she's doing fine, too. But, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, again, it's frustrating how people treat actors.
0: Yeah. I was wondering, also, did they, do you know, like, I guess, sort of similar to what happened to Rose Tico Mm -hmm. when there was so much backlash against her and they brought her sort of out of the forefront Mm -hmm. of the new movies. Did that happen to Jar Jar? Because he just sort of disappears. Like, was he meant to be a bigger character in the prequels? Jar Jar is a
3: key to all this. If we get Jar Jar working... Because
1: he's a funnier character than we've ever had in any of the movies. Before. Well, the thing that, that's really—I mean, it, it, it Tucker can hop in too. I don't think it was—it's never been like stated officially, but that is what it seems like.
2: I, I was thinking that about this right when we started recording is like a fascinating thing—is doing archaeology of abandoned storylines or places you think. You know where he was going. Obviously, it's impossible to really tell. Yeah, but like to see course correction as it's happening, yeah. it's a really, really interesting thing, I th- idea. And I think George Lucas does present a pretty like united front. You know, facing the world of mm-hmm. just like this is what I wanted to do. This is the story I wanted to tell, and I was doing it. Mm-hmm. So underneath that to actually see okay how much was based on fan reaction how much you know course correction was made what changed as they went what stayed true to the original idea and then within that how much of that was down to what was perceived as a failure versus what just changes as part of the natural filmmaking creative process is is a really really interesting thing
1: yeah he's also famously great at rewriting his own history uh yeah. where he will say like, "Oh yeah, I had all nine of them mapped out since 1978," and everyone's like, "No, you didn't. We know you didn't. <laughs> what are you talking about?" <laughs> uh, like he's very good at mythologizing himself, which is something you you know you see that with a lot of people. You know the Walt Disney's of the world, like those those types of people, they're good at building their own story, and like that is the story that we were putting out to the world. But yeah, I don't I don't know if you will ever get a real story about like where where yeah. this story was going, where this was going.
0: Yeah, it's weird. Also, like we're saying, because there are there is so much behind the scenes footage Mm -hmm. and documentaries on all this. It's like almost another fiction on top Mm -hmm. of the fiction. It's like how much do we show in a behind the scenes, and Mm -hmm. how much is still glossed over? You know, to fit like you said, this like mythologization, Mm -hmm. this narrative that you have to show. So they're like, there's a narrative in fiction, and also narrative in nonfiction, as I know because I do a lot of narrative nonfiction, but. That's always the thing about behind the scenes is like you want to, you know, give them what they want and keep what you don't want to show still close to the vest.
2: Yeah, it's a crazy, tricky thing that I honestly don't know how like people, whoever is responsible for that kind of thing can manage because like this is relevant, like to this day, you know, maybe more than ever, given like how much like behind the scenes content is made. Um, And I hate that word, but like or, you know. Making of stuff, you know, there was a, a, a concept art book, you know, that Patrick and I are, are big fans of, that came out for each of the new, you know, sequel Trilogy movies. The first two came out, you know, right on schedule, exactly as they were meant to. The third one was like weirdly delayed for months. Yeah, um, and it was at le- the it was last leaked. Second,
1: there was stuff that was leaked, yeah. and then it was delayed, and it was one of those things where. I mean, I'll let you keep talking. Sorry to interrupt.
2: No, no. Yeah, exactly. So it's like literally the book was due out in less than a week and then they like rescinded it and said, no, it's coming out in March. Yeah. Um, You know, instead of December when it was meant to. And then like you can imagine the the crazy scrambling and chaos behind the scenes to try and not just put together a book again, out of like broken pieces and things that you can no longer show because it was a vestigial tale of something that, you know, you you don't want people to know about or or a direction that was taken and then changed at the last minute in who knows, ADR or whatever it might be. And not just do that, but do it in a way that's like cohesive and actually covers your tracks. It's a crazy thing, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, it does make me appreciate these pre the prequel era even more because um for god's sakes on the set of revenge of the sith they had a live webcam when they were shooting in australia that was just you could just go to while they were shooting and like watch mace windu's death scene being filmed that day you know what i mean like and right. that's six years after this so it, it's it 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 it's a time that you know, in a, in a, in like in an era of like franchise secrecy and like madness. It's something that does feel really nice to see. I, I really really enjoy those moments in particular.
0: Yeah. For one second, back to the kind of like settings and puppetry and scenes and just like visuals. Every outfit that Padme has on is good. <laughs> Every outfit is a scene. It's a moment iconic i like remembered her outfits so clearly like almost more especially in attack of the clones like more so than like what was happening in the scene i like remembered what she was wearing
2: yeah it's so good i remember there was a tweet that i saw sometime recently which i just filled me with joy and like a flashback to that like early teen horniness that we spoke about earlier (laughs) of just like it was just like natalie portman wearing like these amazing padme amidala uh, costumes, reading books on set. And it was just like, this is art. And I was like, yes. Yes, yes it is. This connects me <laughs> on a deep level.
0: Yeah, they really do it for her. And I'm like, even though we, we actually talked about this a little bit, they sort of shunt her character off to the sides in the later scenes, movies. It it really felt like she loses agency and movement as the movies progress except for one of the most interesting things i think anybody says in terms of like the political intrigue of the movies is when padme all of a sudden is like do you ever think we're on the wrong side Mm -hmm. do you think like the democracy we're fighting for doesn't exist anymore and i'm like oh an interesting idea (laughs) i like obviously it's a whole plot and like you're fucked on you know whether you're with the republic or you're with the separatists like it doesn't really matter because it's just a plot. It's just an overtaking.
2: It's the same guy on both sides. Yeah.
0: So in some way, she's tapping into that. She's like, there is no good side. Like, And I really liked that. I was like, oh, hello. I'm logged back on. And the Jedi are like, don't seem to know what they're doing the whole time. They're like not portrayed in an especially inspiring way. They really seem like they, they play into every hand. Even when Obi-Wan is doing his little like, Detective, I'm gonna go figure out what's going on. He he doesn't figure anything out. He just walks in the path that's laid out for him by the Siths.
2: That that I mean, they literally they literally live in an ivory tower. They literally make their decisions in an ivory tower. It, it, George Lucas is such a fascinating figure because I think at simultaneously he has these brilliant ideas and is able to connect, you know, mythology and storytelling on a primal level with people and he he's also a, a super savvy person politically going back to the first film and prophetic in a lot of ways in all six movies but certainly the prequels um i i agree Percy. i love those moments where his big ideas hit pay dirt in really visceral ways in ways that never don't feel relevant you know i'm th- they they Felt relevant for him, I'm sure, when he was conceiving of Star Wars amidst Vietnam and the Nixon administration. And then again, as he was making episodes two and three in the middle of the war in Iraq and the Bush administration. I mean, I think a lot of these things felt probably very familiar to him. And I think when you're telling a big story like this, it does give you a big, um, a lot of playing ground to to find ways to connect to the culture. You know, that's something that we saw like in wildly weird ways with the sequel trilogy of like, you know, when that movie got announced, it was like, Oh God, we're doing the, we're doing the, like the fascist like state again. Like it felt so played out. And then literally a year later it was like, Oh my God, this is, this is relevant down to general Hux's haircut, you know?
0: Yeah. To me, it just felt like, it it almost seemed like an ac- accident that the Jedi were actually, like, kind of shitty. <laughs> when Anakin is talking to Yoda and he's like, my mom died. And Yoda's like, you shouldn't ever be sad when people die. Hugs and kisses. Try again later. This g- kid needs support. Like, you can't just yeah. tell people not to feel things and expect them not to feel things. <laughs> but I was just, like, a little unsure. I was like, do the Jedi come off shitty by accident or... If it's not by accident, I think they should they should have hit that a little harder, that like the Jedi are actually not a good organization.
1: I mean, I'll say this, and not to get political with everybody, yeah. but it feels like <laughs> the rules of the Jedi were written a very long time ago and have not been updated in a long time. So even though the <laughs> world has changed, the Jedi's have not changed. Yeah. You know, like the Constitution, like the Bible, like a lot of stuff where it's just like mm-hmm. the world's not the same thing that it was when these when these rules were written down. So, like, you guys need to get with the program or else, oopsie-daisy, guess what? You're all going to get shot in the back by clone troopers, you know?
0: Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. The way I read it is like, you know, there's this fascist takeover of the galaxy and then you have the supposed good guys, these guys who are the protectors of what's right who are we who are so concerned we with, with doing it right and following the rules that they get totally bogged down in the bureaucracy of things and are ineffective and are just completely you know bowled over by the brash power grab at hand you know i think there are a, a million different relevant ways of how that connects to this day at large i i I do love that because it, it feels like, in a way, the ultimate feather in, like, George Lucas's cap. Just to say, like, look at how relevant this all was and still is.
0: Did you guys get anything more from your rewatch of the documentary the the 50th time around?
1: Uh, I mean, just I, I just like the candidness of it all. I like when Lucas and Frank Oz are talking about uh, something we talked about off mic about how he's like, yeah, I made more American graffiti and it made nothing like you never know how these things are going to turn out. We're never going to be Titanic. And like Frank Oz doesn't understand why Titanic is the biggest movie of all time. Like, it's just like, I don't know. It's just stuff you wouldn't necessarily see in other docs. And I think it's, um, I wish more. Here's the other thing. I'm very easy to please with that kind of stuff. And I wish any movie, like I would watch like, a yeah. two-hour making of doc on freaking three men and a baby. I
2: com- like. I completely agree. We're totally marks for this kind of thing. I do love. There's these interesting moments of ownership. I guess you could call it. It's no. It's a. It's a fucking meeting. You know. It's just a business meeting. Like this is just people doing their jobs that they they do. But when you zoom out a little bit, you realize you're watching four or five people sit at a table, and one of them is talking to the rest of them and saying. I literally took $50 million from my bank account and put it on the table for us to use for this thing. And we can't use more than that. How do we make that work? That's a fascinating conversation that these people are having, but you know, it's under the kind of, it's in the language of like, you know, the three of us sitting down at the office and talking about like, you know, some like marketing BS, who knows? Like it, but it, when you look at it from for what it really is it's super striking and and kind of crazy to comprehend on that level but i love the i just love the 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 honest ownership of that and it goes obviously back to the risks that george lucas was taking with the first couple of movies in particular not just the risks that he was taking to make star wars but then to risk it all again and put all of his money back into the uh, Empire Strikes Back. You know, so he came up in this world, and and in, in in that way of just putting it all on the line and and making it all his to the point where did he get kicked out of the Directors Guild? Yeah. Oh, Persia. you you might like this, Persia. He,
1: um, the Directors Guild had a rule for you know ever where it was like you need to start the movie with the director's name like that the name of the movie the director's name needs to come up at the beginning of the movie and that's why you know opening credits and stuff are in movies all that thing and he was like I'm I'm not going to do that it needs to start with the crawl I'm sorry I'm not putting opening credits in this movie and they were like you need to that's part of the DGA rules and he was like well what if I'm not in the DGA and then he said they were like well then i guess you could do it and he was like okay then i guess i'm not in the dga and i'll pay whatever fines i have to pay and he has never been in the dga since right persia what would you have changed if you made these movies
0: what would i have changed if i made these movies
1: like was there was there something was there something where you were like oh, i wouldn't have done that i would have done this
0: i would have put Watto in more scenes
2: i mean you're not wrong <laughs> You're not wrong. Okay, here's a big question, and it's something that I hear talk- people talk about. Hang
0: on,
1: wait. Did no, you fuck
0: like his- your question, Patrick. Let's hear Tucker's question.
1: Did you like his little hat, though? Did you like Wado's little hat? I
0: did like his little hat. Okay. It must have been the Shabbos.
2: Yes. <laughs> well, it plays into Patrick's question, and it's like, a is this a problem from your eyes, Persia that would need to be solved? Which is like, I was listening to an interview with... Uh, Peter Serafinowicz recently um, where he talks about like he's he's an actor, he did the voice of Darth Maul um, uh, and he talks about seeing the movie for the first time and how unbelievably racist episode one is. What's your view on that? Do you see a lot of racism in episode one?
0: Are you asking me as a sand person? <laughs>
1: uh I <laughs> know th- then I guess
2: <laughs> um so you're saying less
1: than the originals it's great that this part's gonna get cut out
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's a great fucking answer
1: you're <laughs> just saying
2: like I guess there's been some real problematic shit in there from the beginning
0: i I do think Watto is in my mind actually more of like an arab caricature than a jewish caricature because hmm. he sounds and he deals more like a traitor than like mm-hmm. what you would think is like you know harry potter the goblins are bankers which is like a little bit more yeah, on yeah. He the loves,
1: nose he loves haggling yes. he loves money he loves slaves. i mean look, we're all semites you know?
0: <laughs> so how big is the difference anyway but um you know but you know the schnoz is shared among cultures but like, is there racism besides Watto? I mean, Jar Jar, I guess the water people are also, it's, uh, I, I'm sorry, I called them the water people. What are they called?
1: <laughs> the Gungans. <laughs>
0: the Gungans. <laughs> it's, sorry. It's, um. this is like a larger conversation that I've had with a lot of people about fantasy, which is, it's really hard and i understand that it's hard to make up new types of peoples without basing them on peoples that exist there's definitely ways to do it better but it's not like surprising that that's how that all went down that's not good
1: so you're fine so you're fine with it (laughs) anyways the next thing uh...
0: (laughs) so the the things i would change about the prequels is make them less
1: racist (laughs) cool
0: no wait I, I couldn't even begin to have an answer about that. Um, what do you have? Do you feel like you have a feeling about what you would change?
1: No, because here's the other thing: I have a weird brain where even if I'm watching something I don't like, I accept in my brain that oh, this is just what happened. This is I'm it. I'm sort of the same way. Even you know, down to like a lot of people don't necessarily like the last season of Lost say Mm -hmm. and i'm just looking at my lost dvds that's why i thought of it (laughs) but in my brain people are like oh yeah i just pretend like that last season didn't happen in my brain i'm like but that's what did happen like i saw it i saw that's what happened (laughs) so i i just accept it's like oh yeah well that's it that's it and again tucker and i came up at the age where it's very we were very impressionable you know you see those movies a bunch of times you you like them because that's what you like when you know either a certain age or if you're just really into something so I don't necessarily have as much issues I can see the flaws with it now but it's not something that I dwell on and harp on you know all the time I don't know it's not a good answer but it's an answer
0: no I'm sort of the same way someone was once like don't you eat a sandwich and you're always thinking about like what you could have done to make that sandwich better and I'm like no No. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I just kind of eat the sandwich (laughs) even if it wasn't very good I'll be like well well, there's always next time time, uh Okay. Oh, I also did, since we're in It, and by It I mean episode one featuring Watto, do you want to talk about the thing that you do every week, Patrick?
1: Oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, uh, Help run, produce uh, on-screen talent, I guess, for this show called the George Lucas Talk Show. Airs every Sunday night on Twitch, uh, usually 8 p.m. Eastern, unless it's uh, fundraiser that we're doing, in which case they'll probably be going on for like 20 hours. Um, every episode's on YouTube. We've had crazy guests. You know, uh, Whoopi Goldberg has been on. Ahmet Best, who played George Jar, Jar Binks, has been on. When it was a stage show, John Hamm, Ira Glass, Amy Mann. Uh, like, crazy people who should not be doing this dumb talk show where a man pretends to be George Lucas and another man pretends to be Watto. But it's, uh, you know, it's fun, and uh, people seem to like it. So that's, I feel like, the only endorsement I can give it, is that Other people seem to like it, so maybe you'll like it too. And I feel like if you've gotten this far into this stupid conversation, you'll probably uh, (laughs) enjoy it. Although I will say, I don't think we talk about Star Wars as much as people would assume. So even if you're not a big Star Wars fan, I feel like you'll get something out of it. Because it's truly like you're just watching, for the most part, the way we describe it to people, is like you're watching James Corden, except James Corden is 75-year-old retired filmmaker George Lucas.
0: (laughs) Is there a meta version of who you are on the show?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm their piece of shit producer that they, uh, kick around, uh, because he's a little fricking rat who doesn't deserve any love or compassion. (laughs) So the meta version is very close to real life. Right. Okay.
0: (laughs) Still waiting for my fucking answer.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Do you have anything to show Tucker? Nope. He's just a, he's a man unto himself. You can follow him on Twitter.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, don't You follow me on Twitter. If you don't want we'll to do follow that. Tucker, follow me on Twitter, I guess.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Actually follow Patrick on Twitter. That's like a whole thing. Yeah. Patrick tra- needs more followers.
1: Trying to get more followers than the cancelled NBC show sixteen hundred pen.
0: Yeah, how far I'm, are you?
1: Uh I think I'm like seven hundred. Which right. is like far which is like far, but not super far.
0: Yeah. Well being on this show is not gonna close the gap.
1: No. When it started <laughs> it was like thirty five hundred or something like that. So we're we're getting there, you know.
0: Yeah, you're certainly on the road.
1: Certainly certainly
0: um so thank you so much for being on the show no but thank you guys actually yeah of course i just i just feel like it's it's a weird thing to trot out all the time and it does feel like we've all been doing a dance but i don't know it's not like we're not talking about something
1: no i think it's i think it's you know it's tough to talk about something that's been talked to death Uh, by so many people and you want to have something new to say. And I, you know, I think we did, uh, but at the same time, like who knows? So it's, it's tough to talk about something like that. And there's very few things I feel like that have been discussed by white boys on the internet as much as star Wars has. So it's, you know, it's always a, it's always a weird subject to actually talk about, but I don't think, I don't think we hit our feelings.
2: No, no, I agree. It's, I, you said it perfectly it's it's been a pleasure and honor and a great shame to be a band of two cis white assholes explaining star wars to you persia
0: <laughs> the young ingenue
2: were you really finishing three fucking at 9 30 in the morning yeah <laughs> i don't know how you do that
1: yeah I'm gonna say something to you what I, w- I want you to watch the rest of them
0: what do you mean like the OG tr- trilogy
1: I want you to watch I want you to watch solo and then Rogue one and then four five six and then 7.
2: oh oh like because <laughs> I'm, genuinely... I'm on
0: track because you're the, going for the
2: yeah which ones haven't you seen
0: I've seen all of them you saw yeah, solo but you
2: said you saw it's been one. a while
0: yeah it's been a while I've seen solo I've seen rogue one
2: I just I want you to keep going
0: what <laughs> what does it mean to you Patrick? <laughs>
2: You know, it means a lot. (laughs) This is a dude who does fucking 24 hour marathons like on the regular.
0: I guess since I'm so in, since we're doing this Ryan Johnson kick, um, and The Last Jedi Mm -hmm. is the next movie in our Uh,
2: Ryan Johnson watching. Yeah,
1: so you have like five movies to watch Um, in between them. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, yeah, I,
2: give me a sec, babe. I don't have a lot lot of time.
0: And then maybe, yeah, I guess if I'm going in order, I can do it. Thank you so much, as always, to everyone listening. Eleven Again is part of a network called The Worst Garbage Online. And if you want to learn more, the website is theworstgarbage.online. And there you'll find more stuff about Eleven again, like our social media and also some other shows in the network.
3: Barbara.